Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cinemantics, the podcast about movies good and bad, mostly bad. I'm your host, Nick Melton, and my co-host... Beloved Asian-American actor, Mr. James Hong. No. No, I'm Jeff Heatherly. Not beloved Asian actor, James Hong. I'm Jeff Heatherly. Right. I okay. just said, sir. <laughs> Get on with your damn show. Right. Okay, we now bring you part three of our month of movies... Is this uh, part three or is this part two? It's part three. Oh. Yeah, part three. My last last week's was The Thing. Which you recorded a year ago. Yeah. So now we have this latest one uh, from 1986, directed by John Carpenter, and starring Kurt Russell, because it is part of our John Carpenter-Kurt Russell collaboration theme month. Carp Russell. Carp Russell. Uh, this is Big Trouble in Little China. What a schizophrenic opening this was. Yeah. This is a movie that exists. It does. And uh, I wanted to know what you think about it. I haven't seen this movie in years, so I'll have... I have some thoughts, but... You I, haven't seen it at all. I've never seen this movie before. I I could live without ever seeing this again. Really? Yeah. I thought you might enjoy how ridiculous it is. I did, but I could still live without ever seeing it again. That's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the first time I saw this was years and years ago. I must have been a kid at the time, because it's been at least 15 years since I last saw this. Um, and I must say I enjoyed it a lot more when I was younger. Yeah. Um, it just seems like the sort of movie that, like, kids would be like, yeah, sorcerers and monsters and, and... James Hong! And offensive Asian stereotypes, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and it, this movie has those in aplenty. Like, I was watching this and I was wondering, like, I wonder if when this came out in the 80s, like, Asian Americans and whatnot were like, oh man, this movie's so awesome because it's all about, like, Chinese mythology and stuff. But I got... Because this was before the PC age. But it also feels like a lot of this mythology has to be bullshit. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Like, it has to be all Carpenter concoctory. Oh, I'm sure it is. Like, it was written by, uh... It wasn't written by Carpenter, though, and I thought it might be. It was written by Gary Goldman and uh, David, David C. C. Weinstein. Weinstein. Gary Goldman is the only one who has a, a link. He uh, see, co-wrote a screen adaptation of Minority Report uh, as a proposed sequel of Total Recall. Um, and let's see, he also he also wrote Total Recall and Navy Seals! Uh, so not the best credits, but uh, yeah. people do like Total Recall. They do. Um, anyway... So, yeah, an adaptation by W.D. Richter. I'm not sure what that means because it's not really adapted from anything. Maybe it is. Um, well, it didn't say in the credits, adapted from blah. That's true. But, so who knows what that means. Yeah. Um, oh, that is, it says so right there. Oh. Oh, although the film was originally envisioned as a Western set in the 1880s, screenwriter W.D. Richter was hired to rewrite the script extensively and modernize everything. I think it would work better as a Western in the 1880s. I don't know. Really? I don't know. I like... The, one of the things that I'm, I'm... We're kind of skipping ahead to something, but I'll go ahead and go to this. One of the things I realized that I did like about this movie is the fact that Kurt Russell, while he is playing the typical Kurt Russell role, is also playing the audience in that every time something happens, he's like, would you stop being so wordy about this and just explain the damn thing? <laughs> right. Like, because everything... Like, first off, like... He could still 90% do that 90% of the dialogue in this movie is exposition. Yeah, it, it's it's all like uh, Victor Wong like saying back in the ancient mystical days, an a- ultimate evil spirit and in then, the nexus of evil. And blah, then blah, blah. Kim Cattrall's best friend saying things like, "Isn't he the guy who ran the thing and he was part of the Asian mafia?" And I'm writing this story and I've got red hair and I don't know what my purpose is in this movie. Boom. Yeah, yeah. This movie has a lot of dialogue that just 
is clunky. Clunky, clunky dialogue. Do you want to talk about the people delivering that dialogue? Uh, sure. Did you have something you were going to go going to lead into there? No, I was just going to say, I think it would probably work fine still in the 1800s, because you could still have an incredulous main character. This is true. Even more so. And, and like, that whole mysticism thing... It would work really nicely in a Western context. And the racism would make more sense because people weren't as open-minded. <laughs> Was there really that much racism Not in this really, movie? but, like, I mean, over, like, overall it just feels like the a, movie a bag of stereotypes. Un- un- unintentionally racist. Yeah. Because, like, it's simultaneous. It's, like, celebrating martial arts movies and, like, Chinese, like... Culture. Culture and mythology while at the same time just totally bastardizing it. Yeah. And, like, it's it's odd, especially 20 years removed from... And for all the exposition that the dialogue is made of, very little of what happens is explained. Yeah. Like, there's the, the scene that I described is their Schwartz is getting twisted. When, since when do they do that? Oh, yeah. You know, like, we'll get yeah. there. We'll get we there. will we'll get there. Cast time! Okay, let's do this. As we mentioned, Kurt, it is, it is Carp Russell. Right. I'm the only one who says this, apparently, but I'm going to stick with it. Jert Carp, Carp Russell. Carpal Tunnel Syndrome? No. Kurt Russell as Jack Burton. One of the most... I mean, Jack Burton. God, that just sounds like an atypical action star, action hero name. They're always named Jack, and they always... It's like Jack Colton in Romancing the Stone. Jack Burton, he's a trucker, and he fancies himself uh, an amateur philosopher yeah, on the road. Yeah, like, he drives on the road, like, just yammering into his little, like... Tape recorder. Little radio thing that all truckers have. Yeah. It's like, oh man, when the rain's coming down and the wind's at the... Remember what Jack Burton says. Burger, burger, burger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's Kurt Russell. And then second build, we have Kim Cattrall as Gracie Law, an American lady with green eyes. Whoop-de-doo. It's Kim Cattrall. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. This is why I was like... why Every time you were like, I was like, I don't know. And this is why. Because you know what? I enjoy adorable 80s era Kim Cattrall versus oil can, oil can... Now, Eric Kim Cattrall, Sex and the City. <laughs> I, because, I mean, have you ever seen Mannequin? No. It's I've a, seen Mannequin 2. I'm so sorry about that. The original Mannequin is oddly better. Um, <laughs> it, because it's just, it's a, that movie is just, it's, it's weird, but it's, it's enjoyable. I watched it once with a, a former acquaintance of ours, and it was a delight. And she was a delight. And she is always she the was mannequin? in the 80s. Yes. Uh, Kim Cattrall. She was very cute in the 80s. I'm not going to dispute that. I was. I, spent, I won't lie. I spent a lot of this movie in my 80s head swooning. At Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. I'll quite a bit of this movie, yes. Okay. I've confused you. Third build, Dennis Dunn as Wang Chi. Okay, we got it. We got to Once all these names, they all start to sound the same, so... He's the, like... He's the sidekick. He's the sidekick, yeah. The little demure Asian guy who's, like, kind of thin and wiry and tiny in comparison to Kurt Russell's bulging arm muscles. Bulging arm muscles. <laughs> really? We keep the... talking about Kurt Russell's biceps, and I'm like, listen, he's not entirely built. I mean, he's built enough. He's built enough, but it, it's more like on the poster for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, in comparison, he's a thin, wiry Asian guy. Who's the... Who... Who? Okay. His goal in the movie is to get back the other female who's in peril. Yeah, there's a lot of, Because there like, are multiple women in peril in this movie. There are, but because there's that airport scene, which makes very little sense. There's the whole subplot about the woman that Kim Cattrall's, like, protecting with legalities that we never see again except for one time. Yeah. And then there's the... Yeah, you never see her again. Uh, and then never. there's the fiancé, and then there's Kim Cattrall herself, and then there's red-haired reporter lady. Yeah, there are four women in the movie... <laughs> Most of them are unimportant. But that's Wang. He's the sidekick. 
Fourth bill, we have a villain of our piece, James Hong, playing David Lopan. Yeah, James Hong. I actually think James Hong did a decent job in this well, movie. James Hong is, well, James Hong always plays parts he was supposed to play. Yeah. Always. Well, I thought he was good. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he's always good because he's always playing James Hong <laughs> in just different circumstances. Well, this is James Hong as evil sorcerer. Yeah, this is Hong at his hungiest. yeah. Especially in that that first time you see him where he's just like, oh, I'm James Hong. <laughs> Suck on it. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one thing I will say, at least Lopan is a better name than Cuervo Jones. Cuervo Jones. <laughs> we, we, but we haven't even gotten there yet. We haven't that, even gotten there yet. Teaser. That, that's a teaser, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, fifth bill, we have a fellow that I'm pretty familiar with, Mr. Victor Wong as Egg Shen. I was really hoping his name wasn't actually Egg, like that was just the way it was pronounced, but it is Egg, E-G-G. Yes, he runs the Egg Fu Yang tours, if we can drive even, even further stereotypes home. Well, I remember Victor Wong from Tremors, and that's really all I remember him from. I remember him as playing the grandfather, the Japanese grandfather, in all four Three Ninjas movies. Well, since Wong is not a Japanese name, actually, let's find out where he's from, because I'm curious. Uh, let's see, Chinese, um, a man, an American character actor who appeared in supporting roles throughout the 80s and 90s. He died in 2001. That's um, But he was, let's see, where was he from? Um, he was from San he was, Francisco. He was from America. He was, yeah. he was flat out American. He just, adopt, he just adopted an, an Asian accent for all of his roles, it's I guess. true. Or maybe he was raised in an area where, like, they... Maybe he was raised in Little China. Maybe. In a Chinatown somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Not don't have time to research that, but anyway, Victor Wong, he's Victor Wong. Yep, and he's, he's always Victor Wong. <laughs> he's also yeah. in the shadow. Do you want to? No, he's not in the shadow. That, that's I am racist. That's Sab Shimono. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sab Shimono. Oh, I love Sab Shimono. Uh, he um, should have been in this movie. Yes, he should and have. Also, uh, uh, what's his name? Tatsu from no. Ninja Turtles. Oh. No, not Tatsu. What was the name of of, of um, Aroku Saki? No, uh, Splinter in the, in TMNT. Oh, uh, Mako. Mako, yeah. He yeah. should have been in this movie also. Although he is Japanese, so he yeah. was Japanese. Anyway. Sab Shimono. <laughs> um, but he's not in that. But you know who, who is in this movie? Al Leong as Wing Kong Hatchet Man. <laughs> <laughs> I assume he's a henchman with a hatchet. Yeah. And then we have the aforementioned red-haired reporter lady who makes no sense. Kate Burton as Margot. Now, I know that name, Kate Burton. What do I know her from? Let's see here. Uh, let's see, she's the daughter of producer Silver Burton and the legendary actor Mr. Richard Burton. Stepdaughter uh, of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor. How about that? Let's Boom. see. Let's see here. Boom, boom, boom. Film and television. Uh, First Wives Club. Life with Mikey. The Ice Storm. All my children. Burton has been perhaps best known for her for her work on television. Uh, she made many appearances in the late '80s and '90s on episodes of television, including experiences on Spencer for Hire, All My Children, Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, and in 1996, she won a Daytime Emmy Award for an after-school special. And most recently, she was in 127 Hours, which was nominated for Best Picture at I the didn't, Oscars. I'm seeing that now. Yes, she and was. And having just seen that movie, I'm surprised I didn't recognize her, but well, this has been a lot of time Yeah, since she was then. Aaron Ralston's mother in the picture. Yeah, right. Of course she was. Okay. Well. Awesome. How about that? So she went on and did interesting things. But not this movie. No. I, her, her basic point in this movie is to provide shrill exposition. It's true. And then, like, speak aloud and while be she's sitting And be yeah, sitting yeah. in places writing things down for various reasons. Yeah. Um, then we have Donald Lee as Eddie Lee, Carter Wong as Thunder, Peter Kwong as Rain, James Pax as Lightning, 
Susie Pie as Meow Yen, the love interest for Wang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wang has a love interest. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a little too okay, much. Okay, um, I I'd like to like to um, intervene for a second. And okay. Thunder, rain, and lightning. I'm guessing are the three henchmen magicians with the giant hats. The three guys who look like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who I think those guys are. And finally, Chow Li Chi as Uncle Chu. Because they don't have parents in any of these movies. They're, they're always raised by their wizened uncles. Asians don't have parents. They only have uncles and aunts. Yeah, especially in Hollywood movies. Oh, oh you mean in movies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's just get all the offensiveness out really quickly. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to I'm gonna make a disclaimer now. If we are racist, it is because this movie is racist. I mean, and we're uh, just spewing the movie back true. at you. This is true. This is absolutely true. So, yeah. Do you want to talk about the plot of this movie? What plot? Yeah. You usually do that to me. I usually, I usually do, but I do think in this movie there's a lot of plot. There's, there's almost too much plot because, because it's hard it to follow. Re- it doesn't really make any sense. There's a lot of like uh, pseudo mystical mumbo jumbo about spirits and having to appease the gods of the east. You know, like. Which is why I found Kurt Russell so enjoyable in his role as, wait a minute, wait a minute, you just said a lot of stuff and I still don't understand you. Right. You know, He's, he plays the everyman, kind he, of. He does. Um, which this movie needed. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I don't know how it, it, this movie would have benefited if John Carpenter wrote the script, because when he wrote, I don't know if he wrote Escape from New York, but he certainly helped write Escape from L.A. Yes. And uh, in that movie, those movies are much, much easier to follow. Yeah. Granted, it's not dealing with a bunch of cultural heritage and shit, but... Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, it's weird having John Carpenter write this movie that is just massively Asian. Yeah. You should get an Asian fella who knows his stuff. That's true. Anyway, the plot of the movie is... There's a truck driver, Jack Russell. Jack Burton. Jack Burton. Kurt Russell. Carp Russell? Carp Russell, who comes to Chinatown. <laughs> and he, and that's when we establish that, oh, it's this guy who's actually good friends with all the people in Chinatown. Because he's just having fun and gambling and he playing games. He passes through and, a lot. Yeah, he he's a, passes through a lot. He's made some friends. Yes. And uh, his friend Wang Chi. Wang Chi, is that his name? Y- yeah. He's like, well, I'm engaged to this woman, and, and my spirit isn't whole without her. Oh, yeah, they do a lot of that. My body and my spirit are not one sort of thing. They're at North and South, or whatever he said. Something like that. A lot of Wang's early dialogue, I described it as we were watching it, sounds like, you know, the, the it's, it's, a, it's a level of delightful only found in, like, old Cary Grant movies. <laughs> He's kind of trapped in the 50s for the first half of the movie. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the movie is better at the beginning. It is. It is as it goes. Yeah. Because once it dives deep into the unnecessary exposition, it just comes sort of flat. But yeah. at the beginning, when it's still just a lighthearted action movie, it's really entertaining. Yeah. And that scene where they're in the truck in the alley and like the guys are all fighting, like... That's a decent enough martial arts sequence. Yeah. And then he runs over James Hong and shoots lightning out of his face. So... Or light, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, they go to the airport to pick up his fiance, and this gang with Kanye West sunglasses attacks them for no reason. Yeah. And so basically, then they have to go try and rescue her, which launches into tons of exposition. Yeah, about and there's all why she was abducted, and there's 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 and she's got green eyes, James Hong, and people and are fighting, and there's a, a floating and there are monsters, ball of eyeballs, and yeah, floating leftover D&D fucked up troll from Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> Yeah. If they could hear any of that. I mean, that's about as garbled as the story is, if they could hear any of that. 
Really, though, the monsters are, like, the most unexpected part of the movie. And kind of unnecessary. They are. I mean, there's that bit where the the monster that looks like a beholder from Dungeons & Dragons is just wandering around, and it's so stupid looking. Yeah. And there's that weird bug thing that jumps out of a hole and eats a guy, and then Victor Wong's like, you will come out no more, and then it just goes away. Because the end of that sentence is, because we've used up our budget! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's a guy who can expand for no reason. Yeah, and, they don't and then not only that, he expands for some reason and then explodes killing himself for absolutely no reason whatsoever. What? How was what, how that supposed to be threatening if you're just going to destroy yourself by inflating Maybe they yourself? did have like $5 left in the budget and wanted to use it. Okay. What was the budget of this movie? The how budget, much did this movie make? This movie had a budget of $25 million and only grossed 11 Oh. Yeah, it's Not only really gross 11, but it's become a cult classic over the years, of course. Yeah, I mean, I could see a devoted audience for this movie. Because it is just so wacky. And, it, and despite all the stuff we've been saying about how garbled the plot is, at least it's fast-moving. Yeah, yeah. And at least it's mostly entertaining and, and spirited in the way that it's made. Yeah. Um, John Carpenter has a, has a flair for directing vaguely comical action sequences in this he movie. He does. And I, one thing that I kind of... That, that you see a little bit of it, but not enough, is the fact that this movie doesn't want to take itself too seriously, but then most of the time it just does. Yeah. Like, the, you can tell that there was an intent at some point for this movie to take itself a little less seriously. And you can tell it in, like, there's the scene, the final confrontation, I guess you'd say, between, you know, Kurt Russell and Wang and James Hong, and they're all standing in that room. And I forget what James Hong says, but he walks in and he's just like, really, with this again? Like he's just like even even this 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 old time spirit from Chinese mythology has time to be a smartass. Like all I was right. like, and Kurt Russell has just been done making out with Kim Cattrall in the elevator, so he comes out with lipstick all over his lips, which they don't address until no. like one second right before the next scene. Yeah, it's just like, it's yeah. like oh, it's comical. He's got lipstick, but on. not really because everything that's happening around them is being taken way too seriously. Right. It's a lot. It's a lot like. Um, Escape from New York in that fashion. Yeah. And there are some ridiculous things happening, things that we should be laughing at, but they're taking it a little too seriously for us to enjoy it. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned during the movie that um, John Carpenter seems to have a habit of killing off his villains anticlimactically. He does! Now, now for the record, not to, you know, kind of shatter the illusion of podcasting, but we've already watched... Uh, this is the last movie you're recording in episode four for the month of Carp Russell. Yes. And I was present for this and, and both of the escape films. And in both of those, both both times, the villain is dispatched in a really disappointing, lame fashion. Like, well, I'll only talk about Escape from New York because this is all they've heard about. But Escape from New York, he just punches Isaac Hayes a couple times and climbs up a wall. And then Donald Pleasance riddles him with the machine gun. Does he? Oh, that's right. That's right. But even that's still kind of a letdown. Because you're like, no, 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 we spent this entire... That's another reason, not to go off on this tangent, but that's another reason why Escape from New York works. Because if we're supposed to believe that Snake Plissken is a badass, which we learn in L.A., but if, we, but if we're supposed to believe that he's a badass, why have Don, fat old Donald Pleasance firing the, the killing stroke with the machine gun when Snake's just hanging there ready to go? You know, like, way to fuck your hero out of his big moment. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, did that get heated? I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, here we've got... Yeah, just a knife to the head. Yeah, well, you kind of don't do it justice. At the beginning of the movie, Wang Chi and... and uh, I hate saying that name because it sounds so fake. Like, it sounds like Wang Chung. Yeah, um, from Street Fighter. No! <laughs> no! Mortal Kombat! No! 
Wayne Chung. Wayne Ch- Wayne oh, Chung. Wait, I don't know what I'm thinking. Wayne of. Chung is a band. Oh, Everybody, Wayne Chung tonight. I'm thinking of Chun Li. Jesus Christ. We are racist. <laughs> well, all, they all sound the same. Stop having names that sound the same. Pop culture. <laughs> Seriously, all like the Asian martial arts characters in pop culture have names with the like, Chung or Li in them. It's true. So stop it. Anyway, Bruce Lee. Bruce, there's a name you don't hear for a martial arts expert in, in most movies. Yeah. Bruce. That's easy to remember. Anyway, that's my little tangent. Yeah, let's get on to something else. And me trying to climb, like, trying to climb out of the hole that I just dug for myself. Anyway, uh, at the beginning of the movie, they're playing a game where he has a machete, and he, I don't know exactly what it is he's trying to do. Cut the bottle in half with yes, the Yes, which I'm surprised they didn't revisit at the end, like, hey, now that I've got my girlfriend, Chop. They never actually revisited that, which I was kind of disappointed about. Well, he hits the bottle with the machete, and inexplicably, because it's a giant machete, instead of cutting in half, it flies into Kurt Russell's face, and he catches it, and he's like, oh, I've got great reflexes. And then at the very end, he throws his knife at Lo Pan, and it hits, like, the gong behind him, because every Chinese sorcerer needs a giant gong in their room. Yeah. And he's, and, like, he picks it up, like, oh, this is a good knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burton. And he throws it, and he catches it, and he throws it back, and it hits Lopan in the forehead. There's not even a pause between the throwback either. It's catch flame. Like it's just, awesome. it's, it's immediate. That's what that's what's awesome though. Yeah. Like boom, death, and just straight into James Hong's head. And James Hong looks suitably surprised there, and then falls over, and that's just the end of the big bad of this movie. Yeah, kind of disappointing, but also you know it plays back to something we've established earlier in the movie. So yeah, it's not the worst. It's not. And then they spend like 20 minutes getting out of the fucking building, and they're fighting all the henchmen. Why do the henchmen even care? Lopan's dead. Because they're stupid. They're henchmen? Yeah. All they do is hench. You know what I was thinking watching this? Is that the last lightning guy who they fight, the the, the dude who shoots lightning out Yes, yes. He looks just like the terracotta warrior from The Middleman. He does. I wonder if that was intentional. Like an homage to Big Trouble in Little China. I'm sure. Javier Grio Marks Watch likes his references. Like the hair was the same. Yeah, that, yeah. that metal plating on his chest was the same. The only thing it didn't have was that hat. It's true. So I wonder if I wonder if that was intentional. I bet it is. Javier Grio Marks Watch, if you're listening, uh, please let us know. He's not listening. Not at all. <laughs> anyway. So, that was a very uh, scattered conversation. Yeah, yeah. Anywhere you want to take it from here, in particular? I don't know, like... Here's the thing, and this is actually... I mean, even though I quite enjoyed Escape from L.A., as you'll hear, listeners, as as we all did, because there were three of us. Yeah. What? What? Um, But no, like... In these three movies we've watched together, I have yet to have seen... Like, like there's not really standout moments... I mean, there are in L.A. What am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying anymore. The point is, like, there's... It was a lot easier to point out, like, crazy set pieces in L.A., as you'll hear. And there, it was a lot easier to point out how kind of dull New York was. And then here we have this. There's nothing really, like... There are no really notable moments of... <laughs> that just happened! There's not enough of Except that. Except for them fighting with the Schwartz magic that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even that was, like... Really quick and it's really an interesting concept because the way that it works is you know like we make the Schwartz joke because you know the light sh- the light beam shoots out of their ring and it meets in the middle yeah but the way that they do it which is actually kind of interesting is that this like sort of nether region opens up where the where the two beams meet and like these two spirits do battle for them and that's an interesting in a smoky cloud of video gaming 
Yeah, and you actually see, like, James Hong moving his fingers, like, on a video game controller, like an invisible video game controller. Yeah. That's an intriguing concept that they could have done more of. Yeah. Like... The fact is that this movie is chock full of tiny ideas that, if expanded, could have been amazing. Right. It's just... You feel like the problem is that they just tried to cram too many of them into one movie? Yeah, it's a big, shiny, stereotype mythology gumbo. Yeah. That never really tastes good. <laughs> Aw. Except for the beginning. Yeah, the beginning is a delight. Yes. Yeah. Um, Want to talk about the music? I suppose we can. Yeah. Because it is John Carpenter doing the score again, and joined by... With Alan Howarth. Alan Who helped him with um, Escape from New York, I want to say. No, no, or no. That, he, John Carpenter did Escape from New York all by his damn self. <laughs> okay, well, I've seen Alan Howarth in collaboration with John Carpenter before, so... Correct me, Where? what is it that he's used him for? Um, well, this is not the right Alan Howarth, for one. The link on Wikipedia sends us to the, the Baron Howarth of Newport. <laughs> a British Labour Party politician. Well, that's not very helpful. Thanks a lot. Um, I guess that's... Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's got Alan Howarth helping him. Um, it's just a giant 80s score with tons of 80s drums and then lots of Asian touches. But it also doesn't sound as much like the store for Reading Rainbow as New York did. Well, yeah, New York was a bunch of droning synthesizers, and L.A. had Shirley Walker on board, which was excellent. Yeah, and a lot of uh, rock guitars, because they surf in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is like a John Carpenter score with tons of Asian stuff thrown in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mainly want to talk about the song at the end. You do, because you've been singing that snippet of that song to me as a joke for like three years now, and we're finally hearing it, and first off, they don't go up on the end of China the way you do it. Yeah, I, I, which I disappointed thought they me. did. I thought they I did. I prefer your version. Yeah, I thought they, I, I could have sworn they did, but they don't. But anyway, you learned something about the song that I actually didn't know. Yeah, I did, and I was kind of delighted. Uh, the theme to the film, which is of course Big Trouble in Little China... Uh, is performed by a band by the name of Coupe de Vils, which is a band that includes John Carpenter. Now, we can't confirm whether or not it's John Carpenter doing the, the, the uh, vocals on that one, but wouldn't it be nutty if it was? Yeah, because he doesn't have that. The guy, whoever's singing it is a very unimpressive vocalist. Yeah, even because it's actually two dudes. You can right. tell. There's, there's the, the guy who does the big trouble part, and then there's the guy who does In Little China, and even he, it's, it's just not that impressive. Your version is so much better. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. is. It's just a... Uh, uh, it's a terrible song. Terrible. It is. And very dated. It's so Very is. dated. But I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't mention it. Because really, it's the only John Carpenter movie I know of that has its own theme song. Because Well, because even though, I, as I kept saying, that this movie takes itself too seriously a lot, the fact is, it is like the most lighthearted of the movies we've watched so far. Even more than L.A.? Oh, definitely more than L.A. Excellent. Yeah. L.A. LA gets serious, but it gets serious like... In a weird surrealist way that makes sense, right? This does. This is like this is whimsical, but it still takes. I don't know. But the point is, like, I feel like this is the kind of movie that would require a, a, a song like the theme, but only in your way you do it. Versus, you know, L A, which requires like Tool on the soundtrack, and it did. Uh -huh. We gotta stop talking about L A. It's, it's not here yet. Well, you know, we, we are still riding on the high of Escape from L.A. It's true. You're, you're going to enjoy this, folks. Um, anyway, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. I wish I had more, like, in my head. Me too. Like I said, it's 
one of the th- one of the things about when we, you know when we watch a movie we talk about it a lot of I mean we've been lucky enough that we have such an encyclopedic love of a lot of movies that we've been able to bring a lot of personal favorites to the table where we know what we want to talk about we know what moments we want to talk about we want to talk about the product placement in Joe's and the Pussycats we want to talk about you know name something from one of yours <laughs> uh but bur- you're helpful. I know. Um, <laughs> you don't, don't put me on the spot But like you know that. what I'm saying. It's a lot easier to bust out the enthusiasm and excitement over like the wacky moments of something we love versus something we're seeing for the first or second time, as it is the case here. Right. Um, and, of course, it's been a long time for you. Like, when you did see it so many years ago, did you see it just the once or did you see it multiple times as a child? I don't remember how many times I saw it as a kid. Um, I remembered, like, bits of it started crawling out of my memory as I was watching it, which would lead me to believe that I saw it more than once. Right. Because, like, you'll you'll remember this. Like, I would be sitting there and just be like, oh, yeah, because something was about to happen that I that all of a sudden I remember right. the last shot of the movie. Yeah, although, although the way the camera was panning. Well, yeah, you could tell what was coming, but, like, I remembered what was coming. Yeah. So little things like that. Like, there were parts of it I didn't remember. Like, I didn't remember the monsters, really. Yeah, I mean, I knew there were monsters in this movie because... And, and it also has a lot to do with the fact that this movie is often compared to... Uh, the, the Eddie Murphy film The Golden Child which came I have out, not seen that The Golden Child which came out what year was it 86 also 86 as well yes and it's another movie that includes a lot of Chinese culture and and weird mysticism and creatures hmm. very, it's actually a very similar movie when you get down to it have you seen it? no but I just know I just know this for a fact that it's a very similar movie I'm, I'm pretty sure James Hong is even in it too uh, Victor Wong and James, and James Hong, Hong are both in it. Yes. Oh man, in one year. It's like a companion piece. Hang on, go back. I, I want to see something. Okay. Um, who wrote the? Oh, never mind. Written by Dennis Feldman. I, I I almost thought that I saw John Carpenter as the score composer, but no. No, no, no. It's Michael, Michel Colombier. Okay. Who I've never heard of. Yes, but The Golden Child is that Eddie Murphy picture that came out the same year. It's it's, it's a very similar movie, and it looks like even looks like both pic, both posters were drawn by the same guy. But I think The Golden Child. But oddly enough, even though The Golden Child stars you know a comedy star in Eddie Murphy, I think The Golden Child actually takes itself even more seriously, if I recall correctly. I, I've never seen it, but I've seen enough of it to know that it's not a lighthearted movie. Right. Like it's really dark and fucked up. Huh. Yeah. Well, this movie is not that dark. Or that fucked up. No, it, it, in fact, it's not remotely fucked up. It's just, it, it goes right to the line where it would cross into fucked up and then stops. Right. I mean, like, it's got that bit where they're in the, the tank full of water and it's full of rotting corpses. Yeah. And those corpses are a bit more disgustingly realized than they perhaps should have been. Yeah. For but, a movie But that, that goes by, like, really quick. It does, but, like, yeah, like you said. It's a and short, to be fair, moment. like, this is the 80s, the time when, you know, look at the Goonies. Have you ever seen The Goonies? Not in a long time. The Goonies, which is this movie that is very much a children's film. I love it for a number of reasons, not the least of which being the fact that they have the balls to have kids cursing, which should happen more often, I feel, um, in film, you know, especially in those situations. Because let's face it, when you're 13 years old and you're going through a cave looking for gold and you're Corey Feldman, you're going to say shit a few times. You know? (laughs) Kids are not all innocent. No, they're not. Movies paint children as, like, these just overly innocent lunkheads. But the point is, The Goonies... There's a lot of grim, gruesome stuff in that movie. Like, it's the kind of stuff that, that kids... It's what kids imagine to be gross. Something coming out of the eyeball of a skull or something like that. Snake, right. You know, like, it's, it's all very... It's kids gross. Like, kids have very vivid imaginations. Like, like Halloween decorations. Right. <laughs> like, that's, that's the level we're talking about. You remember about the Haunted Mask, right? That Goosebumps I do. 
With that really creepy, like, warped face on the cover. Yes, yes. Work. And, of course, they made that wonderful TV special out of it as well. Hey, that was a special one? The, it, yeah, the, special one. Special one. Um, it wasn't just part one episode of the TV show? It, it was the pilot. Oh. Viewer, beware. You're in for a scare. Yeah. Bum, do, 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 do. Yes. Bum. Yes. Goosebumps. Oh, goosebumps. A motherfucker. Awesome. Yes. Uh, I remember that. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I love it, when, <laughs> I love it when the G in Goosebumps flies past the dog and then its eyes just start glowing. Yeah. Really lame looking. But it's still like the one image from that opening credits that stuck with me all these years. But I'm just saying like this is on the level of like Goosebumps creepy. Right. Which was very Canadian. Canadians love their kid creepy. And that's what this movie is. It's kid creepy. Yeah. With a little Chinese bondage in it. Right. Which is always fun. Yeah, I was thinking throughout the movie, I mean, this might be a problem with um, how badly they explain the plot, but I don't really understand what the big deal was about Lopan actually succeeding. Like, they sort of imply that if he succeeds, he'll rule the universe, but... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's all you need in the 80s when it comes to a big bad in a movie. You just but gotta say, he will control the universe, and he seems to be kind of a prick, doesn't he? We don't want that, do we? Right, but mostly, I mean, they, they, they say that a couple of times just to nail home that, yeah, they should defeat him, but mostly the thing that they keep harping on about is that he needs her to break the curse because he's been in this hor- horrible spiritual limbo for thousands of years. And oh, how horrible it would be if this guy got a curse lifted off of him because it would make the main character not happy because he would be married to the girl. Oh. But then he can kill him and also because it's not probably... I I'm, I'm feel fairly certain that this marriage would not be recognized by the state of California. Probably not. <laughs> so, you know. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, right? yeah. You know... They almost went for him as kind of sympathetic towards the beginning of the movie. They did when he was when I mean we see Lopan the first time and he's big seven foot tall pasty faced James Hong being hit by a truck, and then in the middle the of the next movie time you see him he's this really pathetic. He's shriveled. the most wrinkled, shriveled old man you've ever seen, and you can barely understand what he's saying. But then again, that's just because he's James Hong. And he, Hong, 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 yeah. I love James Hall. Me too. No, no offense to James Hall. No, he's wonderful. He's, he's, a, he's an American treasure. <laughs> yeah, I love James Hall. Yes. Uh, every every movie he's in is, is made better. Yes. He's in a lot of movies about like ninjas and stuff. He's in Wayne's World too. Really? Yes. That's awesome. Does he play like the head of a like the owner of a Chinese like medicine shop? No, no. He plays Cassandra. Have you ever seen the first Wayne's World? Cassandra, Wayne's girlfriend. I've seen it, but not he a long time. He plays her time. father. Oh yeah, and okay. they. And he and Mike Myers have a have a, a kung fu fight. If they'd made uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World into like several movies, they could have gotten him to play Knives' dad. Although yeah. he might have been a bit old at that point for that. But it's that James Hong. Awesome. He's ageless, except yeah. for when he's got all that makeup on. Yeah, Ninja James Hong, awesome. Yeah. Anyway, there isn't enough James Hong kicking ass in movies. No, there isn't. There really there isn't, isn't really enough Victor Wong kicking ass in movies either. Yeah, there is. Really? Three Ninjas. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen Three Ninjas. Have you seen any of those I've movies? I've seen Surf Ninjas. Surf Ninjas, which is amazing as well. Actually, Surf Ninjas is way better than any of the Three Ninjas movies. But Isn't Three Ninjas Kick Back a real movie? Yeah. That's the, se- so. that's the second one. That's the one where they go to Japan. I may or may not have seen that one, because every time I hear that title, I think, that sounds really familiar. And that's but... everyone's favorite of the, of the quadrilogy, too. But, um, yeah, I may have seen them, but... Of these movies I've seen when I was a kid, they've just sort of gone dormant in my mind. Yeah. Like, this movie went dormant. I knew that I'd seen it, but I didn't remember a lot of it until I watched it again. Yeah. So, 
There really isn't much to say about this movie anymore because we went into that whole Goosebumps rant and I was like, you know, we've kind of... We kind of exhausted our capabilities. Okay, I do feel like, though, I need to say this. It is worth seeing. Yeah. Not maybe more than two or three times. like or even once. Or even that. I yeah. mean, like, you should see it once just to see, like, an 80s action spectacular with tons of convoluted Asian mythology in it. If you like that sort of movie. It's got its fair share of martial arts in it. Yeah. And the special effects are actually quite decent yeah, for 1986. Are. Like, very, very little of it looked fake. Like, True. even, like, the stuff where they're shooting lightning out of their hands or, like... There's that... I really liked the shot where, like, they kind of, like, cheat you out of the resolution of it. But there's the bit where old wrinkled James Hong is sitting in his wheelchair and he starts, like, glowing from the inside. And yeah. his skin, like, looks all translucent and his eyes, like, turn that weird color and stuff. That he that looks really cool. Yeah, it does. And the scene where he, like, phases through a wall... Yeah, that looks flawless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's got some great visual effects it does. in it. The, the practical effects with the monsters and the exploding henchmen... Not so much, weirdly. Not so much, weirdly, yeah. Like, yeah. The, the all the animated computer stuff looks great, but, uh... The weird snake coming out of the wall and... I, I didn't mind the weird snake coming out of the wall because you only saw it for, like, two seconds. That Yeti monster thing, mm. you could tell that its face was just a mask, like, stuck in one place, like all the monsters in Army of Darkness, yeah. and um, and the Beholder monster. And then there's that pointless shot where it looks itself with the, with the its eye like, tongue. With its tongue that looks like a penis. I, with a, with a, with a uh, eyeball instead of a head. But it still yeah. had a bit of a mushroom cap to it. Yeah, ew. It's gross. I'm sorry. It's gross. It's just in there to gross, it is gross. out the audience. It's absolutely yeah. gross, yes. And then he then gets stabbed with a sword and makes a really comical face. Like, Burr! Burr! Yeah. yeah. It didn't make that sound, though. No. I don't think it has vocal cords because when it opens its eyes, it's got an eye in its mouth. Open... Yeah. Or maybe it's a different one because that other one had a tongue, so. It's true. Why are we debating this? I don't know. Beholder monsters. Rip off of D&D anyway. Shouldn't have been in the movie. It's true. Please don't tell my supervisor I was sleeping. What what is that that you keep doing? Um, it's from Futurama. They break into the uh, central bureaucracy, and there's a beholder like asleep in the hallway, oh. and like Bender bumps into it by mistake, and all of its eyes like flash out. Like it's got tentacle eyes. Yeah, yeah. And a giant mouthful like fangs and stuff. It's like one of the classic D and D monsters. But anyway, it wakes up and it looks like it's going to attack them, and instead it just runs after them. Please don't tell my supervisor I was sleeping. <laughs> okay. That's bizarre. It's a nerd reference. Yeah. Um, anyway, Big Trouble in Little China. Favorite moments? Favorite moments. Um, the first 20 minutes. First 20 minutes. Most times that James Hong is on screen. And uh, Victor Wong. And Victor Wong, yes. To, to, to give the movie its due, they're both awesome. They are. They're always awesome. And Kurt Russell is awesome. Yes, yes. He's, he's, he's very personable. He's very enjoyable. It's just like, like I said, it, it feels like... He is part of the audience, and he... Because the fact is, honestly, I wouldn't even call Jack Burton the real hero of this movie. No. It's Wang. It's all Wang. Yeah. All Wang, all the time. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> you went there. I did. I've been waiting to go there. <laughs> really, one of the pleasures of watching this movie for me was... I was so familiar with what the poster looks like, because at, uh, my, at my school... They changed the movie posters hanging in the theater every week, and they had the Big Trouble in Little China poster there, like, for a couple of weeks, so I was really familiar with what it looked like. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's the shirt he's wearing on the poster. Yeah. That's the gun he's using on the poster. Like, just watching him acquire the different accessories yep. that would become, you know, what's on the movie poster. But Kim Cattrall never wears that outfit. No. <laughs> what else is on the poster? Oh, dude with a light. Yeah. It's a typical Drew Struzan poster. Drew Struzan, to those of you who don't know who that is, I mean, he's... I guarantee 
you've seen a poster drawn by him. I'm sure. He's the guy who draws the posters. They're, they're, they aren't photographs, but he draws them so perfectly, it almost looks like the real person. Right. Like, he did the, um... He did the um, Star Wars posters when they did the special editions in right. 1997. The, the those big paintings. Did he do the same? Did he do the same for the uh, the new trilogy as well? This one. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did like all the. He did the Star Wars special edition, the Star Wars prequels, um, Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, he's he's an amazing artist. Yeah, and um, he's one of the most famous poster artists I think that is out there. He does some great work. But anyway, he did this movie. So that's that. Yeah. Anyway, I interrupted you with favorite moments. I mean, that's it. And also, I, I did quite enjoy Kim Cattrall. You haven't seen Mannequin, and that was a real revelation to me, because I'm so used to Samantha Jones, just this, you know, midlife crisis woman who has a lot of sex and is very sexual. Right. Versus, you know, the Kim Cattrall of this and Mannequin, who is just, like, fucking adorable. Right. And I'm too quite taken aback, you know. You know, I have a thing for the 80s. Like, you remember when we were watching Mr. Belvedere and, and you, we were talking about the sister character? And I was like, you know what? I could totally go for that. I totally... The episode where she gets that wildly 80s hair, like, hairstyle. Right. Like, the big, like, friggin' Tina Turner, I don't want to fight no more kind of hair. Right. Like, and I'm like, you know what? I could totally go for that. I have... I, you know I have a soft spot for the 80s. You do. I really do. Which makes it kind of odd that you didn't like this movie more. It's true, it's true. This movie is very, very... I mean, you could only make this movie in the 80s. Yeah. Or um, maybe the early 90s. Maybe the early 90s, but... Mostly still be pushing 80s. it. Yeah. yeah. My favorite moments, the special effects. Yeah. James Hong, Victor Wong. Um, I noticed during the credits, like, all the actors' names rhymed. Wong, Kwong, Kwang, Kwang. There's no dang. Shamalama Ding Dong. No. <laughs> that would be The Last Airbender. Yeah. Oh God. Oh my God. We need to cover the last Airbender. Oh, it's I, so bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Uh, here, yep. Anyway. Yeah. Because I, I gotta tell you, every time like thunder, lightning, or rain would start to do that thing, like, like that Tai Chi, where the lightning would come out, I was like, are they bending the air? Uh, man, like, they do that for so long in the movie. The last. Airbender. Oh, I, oh, I know. It I, takes them like thirty minutes to bend anything. I just listened in the to the TV show was instantaneous. Yeah, I just listened to a fantastic episode of Paul Shear's podcast. How did this get made? About the, the last Airbender, where they described the extensive Tai Chi that was required I didn't to bend. Realize Paul Shear had his own Paul ca- podcast. Podcast. It is podcast. Yes, yeah. but it's called "How Did This Get Made," and it's wonderful. And basically, it's just them ranting about terrible movies. Yes. Oh, I need to hear you it because Paul Shear is a delight. Yes. Um, he should have been in. This and Chris movie. Hardwick's in the second episode. Yes, I love Chris Hardwick. Yes. Um, let's see. What other favorite moments do I have? Um, Kurt Russell. Yeah, really. Like I don't, I don't normally think that much about Kurt Russell. Like I know I loved him in Death Proof, and uh, but I didn't really realize that I loved Kurt Russell until I watched all these movies again. Yeah, because he's just so awesome in all of them. So you just reminded me of one of my favorite moments that I can't believe I forgot about. Okay, the first time they infiltrate like the sex slave house, okay, and he has to go in there as like that nerd <laughs> with, with the nerdy glasses. Men, yeah, yes, that was so weird. It was delightful. Yeah, and like the earthquake strikes the building, and the woman who's tied up to the bed had that the bed shakes in a yes. really obviously like fake effect. It was awesome. That whole sequence was pretty entertaining. Yeah, screaming prostitutes. Yeah, it's awesome. Kurt Russell, <laughs> he's a delight. Anyway, yeah, that's really all I have to say. Yeah, I'm about done. Yeah, big trouble, in little China. How about it? Big trouble in little China. See, you just did it the lame way they actually do it. I know. I didn't want to be wrong. You, you disappointed me. Oh. Big trouble. There we go. And little China. See, that makes more... <laughs> see, I can, see, I can imagine that song being attached to this movie more than I can the actual song. Yeah. 
I like my version better too. And like I said, that's how I thought they did it. Because for years. it sounds like more of a stereotype. It sounds more befitting. Yeah. Because I can honestly imagine James Hong singing it when you do it. <laughs> anyway, Big Trouble, Little China. Yeah. Or as the title will lead you to believe, Big Trouble in Little Chino. Yes, that's true. That A does not have a tail. Yeah. Um. So yeah, 1986. Kurt Russell directed John Carpenter, the third installment in our month of Carp Russell. Oh, you're finally adopting it? Yeah, finally. For this one that we're doing, the last one you're going to record? The last one we're recording. Yeah. Our podcast gets so meta sometimes. Yeah. But anyway, that's that. Yeah. Boom. You've been listening to Cinemantics, the podcast about movies good and bad, mostly bad. I'm Nick Melton. I'm Jeff Headley. See you next time, everybody.